Hey everybody, uh, this is going to be the first episode of the new show that I started, it's Mark by the way, uh, finally got to travel back home, uh, and sit down with one of my good friends, Broderick, so we recorded this, um, so yeah, this is going to be the new series that I've been talking about, just on like uh, trauma and how people came up, stuff like that, uh, email in, let me know what you guys think, it doesn't have a name yet, um, so, still working on that, but uh, yeah, here's the first episode, and stay tuned until the end, because uh, Holyoke, the song which the episode kind of centers around, in a way, uh, plays at the end, so everyone check it out. Uh, thanks, guys. Alright, so um, this is going to be the first, uh, like, one of the first recordings I make of the new show that I've been talking about on uh, on Cooler Talk. <laughs> Fuck, man. On Cooler Talks. Uh, so, yeah, here it is, man. I'm here with... Uh, the glorious friend Broderick, man. Hello. Fucking, dude, fucking... I love you, dude. We go way back. I yeah. love you too, man. Oh, my God, dude. When uh, when I first discussed doing this show, you were the, you've always been the first person. Always. always, always. I've always wanted... You know, I, I wish you could have come on Cooler Talks, but that's a totally different subject matter. But, yeah. But, um, God damn it, dude. I've always just wanted to sit down with you, you know? And uh, it's it's been... We've been friends, what, since like, high school? Yeah, high school. I think I met you when I was leaving middle school. And then we became friends in high school for sure because right. of band and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like my sophomore year because you, yeah. you and Evan were freshmen. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, dude. That's a long time, bro. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, to put that in perspective, I mean, you've been out of school how long? Oh, dude, our 10-year reunion was like last year. Yeah, and our, ours was this year. Was so it, Yeah. What is? Wait. This is 2021. Ours was last year. Yours was the year Holy before. Holy shit. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Yeah, that's a uh, long time. A couple old gra- Gramps talking about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you know what's crazy? Is, uh, you know, when you were coming on the show, I was just like, yeah, you know, I was just fucking thinking about you. And uh, I remember the very first time you and Evan ever uh, put me up on a three-way call. And it was weird, right? Like, Like, you guys called me. And I was like, oh, Evan's calling me. Like, I wonder if he wants to be my friend. Dude, I was, cause I, I was like, I didn't have any friends, bro. I had Keenan. Yeah, right? Kenan. I had Keenan. Yeah. And that was it, bro. I was a fucking leper at school, bro. Didn't have anybody. And uh, Evan calls me, so I answer. And then you're on the phone, too. And we stayed up till like two or three that night. Yeah. And I was like, these are the coolest fucking guys <laughs> I've ever met in my life, bro. And uh, yeah, dude, I just like, oh, man, I've always, I've always just enjoyed. Being around you and like the and the, the vibe you bring, you yeah, know, it's always been chill. So likewise, feelings yeah. completely mutual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, what's up? Introduce yourself, man, and uh, tell these people what you're about. Yeah, uh, so my name's Broderick. Um, been basically born and raised here in Amarillo. Um, been really into music for a long time. Uh, let's see, moved around a little bit, mostly in Texas, but we did live in Minnesota for a while when I was younger. My one of my sisters was born there. Uh, my big thing is just music, really. I mean, that's kind of what I've dedicated my life to. So, um, I don't know. Music and, you know, hoping to put some good out there, help people heal and stuff like that. So, yeah. No, I mean, that's cool. And, um, yo, you have that single Holyoke. Mm-hmm. God damn, dude, that's some good shit. Thanks, uh, man. <laughs> dude, I was vibing that today. That's good, dude. <laughs> I really like, I like the entire vamping. I like, I like all of it, man. I like Everything I've heard that you put out is really good. Thanks, um, dude. But that Holy Oak is like my favorite song. That's <laughs> so funny. That one's been a late bloomer. We put it up because the last record that I did, like the full length album called Desert Plant, 
that one kind of took off around the world. And I actually had a physical cassette release in Greece with a guy on that one. Um, And it got posted around and it finally got to him because he was watching some of the blogs that were posting about it. I was like, cool, this is so cool. And then we put a band together and Holyoke was our first song that we did with a band that wasn't just me. Right. So everybody, like I orchestrated the whole thing, but like the band actually kind of took their parts and made them cooler. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Holik was like the first song that really had the full band vibe. Right. And so it at first seemed like uh, people aren't liking this, you know, but the more people I talk to, everybody tells me that's their favorite jam. Oh, dude, from, it's it's solid. Yeah. Like, so uh, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> what, what, what's what's the inspiration behind that? So that song, man, we're going to go dark really quick. Oh, okay, okay. If we're going to go dark real quick, let's just start at the beginning, bro. Okay. Okay, and now, the reason I always wanted you to be my first guest my first guest, is because, uh, you know, coming up, I knew that you had a harder life, mm-hmm. right? I, I knew that. Um, but I never asked you about it. Yeah. I never said shit. And I don't know if that was good or bad or whatever, but, like, I want to know. Like, I want to know not just, you know, being a fucking, I don't know, gossip or whatever. I want to know because I, I genuinely care about you yeah, as a person. Yeah, for sure. And I should have asked you years ago. I mean... Years ago, if we would have talked about it, I probably wouldn't have had as much to say, you know, because mm-hmm. um, growing up, like I didn't want to like burden anybody with the, the stuff I was going through. And like if people asked about it, I'd talk to him about it. But like to me, I felt more like, oh, this is like a lot to put on somebody else. You know, as a kid, right. you yeah. don't realize that you can really like lean on people that care about you or people that you care about to kind of carry that burden with you and make it a little less heavy. Right. Um. And so, yeah, even if you would ask me about it back then, I mean, I would have filled you in, but it wouldn't have been like the conversation we're having right now. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I should have, I should have said something, you know, I I remember one time I was, a, uh, I was going through a hard time, had this break over this chick or whatever, you know how shit is. And, uh, I was losing my fucking mind and you got in the car with me. We drove around, whatever. And, uh, probably blasted music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're always there for me though. Um, you're always there for me, dude. And. I lost my mind for probably five years, man. You know, just because I didn't know I could talk to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and I went to some dark fucking place. I worked at a goddamn mortuary, bro. You know, like, yeah. I, you know, I went to this really dark fucking space in my head, um, wishing I would have talked to somebody. So, I mean, that's like this podcast. I just want people to know, like, it's okay. Like you have to open up. You have to, yeah, we're all overcoming shit. And then, you know, I know some really amazing people that have overcome some dark shit, mm-hmm. you know? So tell me, let's start from the beginning, man. What, what, How'd you come up? Yeah, that's a tricky question. Um, how'd your parents meet? How did my parents meet? So, uh, my parents grew up in Canyon together, Canyon, Texas. And my dad was a skater. My mom hung out with the skaters. So stuff happened. Uh, they ended up getting pregnant, 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 <laughs> pregnant, really young with me. Um, I think my dad was about to turn 19 and my mom had just turned 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, they were like doing the thing. They're like, okay, well, we got to drop out of school. Uh, we're having a kid. And it was like, okay, so I was born in 92. So it was like 91. Like they didn't have access to all the stuff, you know, and they didn't really know back then how to handle that. Cause it wasn't as common for younger people to have kids, even in the nineties, like it was starting to become more common. Uh, but they were like, you know what? We'll just drop out. We'll move to California. You'll, my dad got a job. My mom, uh, you know, just 
just held me in her womb for yeah. <laughs> for the whole nine. And uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, there's a lot of stress that comes with that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what got them together. You know, they they liked each other. You know, obviously, but when you have a kid, you kind of have some big decisions to make. Right. And so they were like trying to make those decisions, whether it was the best for both of them or not. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So did they split early on? Yeah. Um, let's see. So fairly early on, I want to say they split when I was about eight years old. Um, cause I have two sisters. We were all born two years apart. I was 92. My sister, uh, Kenzie was 94. And then my youngest full-blooded sister is 96. And about two, one or two years after uh, Sky was born in 96 was when they split. So uh, we moved back from Minnesota, and they split, and we moved in with my grandparents. And then my mom lived on her own. Like, my dad and my grandparents is who I lived with. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So they split pretty young. That was about eight. Um which I guess puts me about fourth grade. Yeah. Okay. Third, fourth grade, something like that. Was it that confusing? It was just weird. I don't know. At that age, you don't really think about that kind of stuff too much. You're just like, well, I guess my parents aren't together anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, as I got older, it was harder because you meet and have more, um, your friendships kind of mature as you get older. And so you start to understand things more. And so one of the first things I started to understand was like, you know, going to school events and stuff like most people had two parents there, you know, right. And their parents like stayed together or whatever, even through high school, like people had parents that stayed together. And so you just get, you become more aware of how different your situation is from their situation. Mm-hmm. And it definitely weighs on your mind in a very negative way. Um, even though there's nothing wrong with having two parents that aren't together um, you, you, I guess you realize that later in life, but, um, at that time it makes you feel weird because everybody else has like two parents, you know? And it's right. like, they've got like the, the white picket fence mm-hmm. yeah. and you've got like kind of a broken home kind of situation. And it's, it's hard to get through because there's not as many people that relate to that. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I remember I met your mom a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I met your dad a, a ton of times. I've only met your mom maybe twice. I can remember twice for sure. Yeah. Um, did she always stay close in the area? Uh, my mom did for the most part. Um, let's see. So she stayed in Amarillo for a while. This is where it kind of gets weird. Um, cause when they split up, they both kind of got bad into one or the other, you know, mm-hmm. my mom got really bad into opiates and my dad got really bad into meth. So, um, <clears throat> On either side, no matter who you were staying with, they had their problems and their issues. Right. Um, my mom actually, I don't know. She's got like a lot of mental health stuff for sure um, that she's been working on. And actually now she's doing really, really well. I try to see her as much as I can. For a while, we didn't really have a relationship mm-hmm. in my adult life um, because of what Holyoke's about. That was kind of, which we'll get into that a little bit later. But um so, yeah, uh, she did stay in the area. Um, I have this crazy story, and I've always wanted to, like, I feel like at one one point in my life, I'll probably sit down and write a book or something and try to go over a lot of this stuff because it's just too strange. 
um, there was a point, I want to say I was about 12 or 13. I want to, I'm pretty sure it was about 12 or 13. I was really into basketball, which I'm sure you remember us growing yeah. up together. We played basketball and skated. Yeah. Um, really into basketball. So, like, at that time, this, this will come into play, I promise. My favorite shirt was this basketball shirt, and I always wore basketball shorts at that age. And um, my mom was kind of in between places to live, and so she asked if she could come stay with my dad and my grandparents. And my mom and my dad at that time were just kind of polar opposites, like the worst for each other. And I'm not sure necessarily what happened, but they got into some kind of huge argument. And I remember at the time... My mom was wearing my favorite T-shirt and my basketball shorts. And they had gotten this huge argument. You know, my grandparents stayed out of it because they're just like just tired of all the conflict. You know, they were kind of the rocks in my life for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, my mom like runs out the door, like slams it. We had an old school screen door. Our house was built, you know, way back. I don't know exactly what era, but it was pretty old. I mean, I would say 50s for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. If it was before then, um, kind of outside a canyon. And she just like walks out and we have this dirt road by my house. And um, so she's standing there on the road, kind of crying. And I like, I'm the only one that runs after her. My sisters are trying to figure out what's going on. I like ran after her. I'm like, where are you going? She's like away from here. And I was like, but why? And she looks down and notices that she's wearing my clothes and she strips completely naked and walks down the dirt road and then gets picked up by a truck and I don't talk to her for a year. What? Yeah. And um, during that year, I found out later, she had gone to um, El Paso and she was just homeless in El Paso. Holy and shit. Um, I remember about 11 months in of us not talking to her, having an idea if she's alive, if anything happened. Uh, she... She called us on a payphone, and we all got to talk to her, and she was pregnant. And we're like, okay, so what do you mean you're pregnant? Like, who's the dad? And she said this guy named Renegade that also lived on the streets in El Paso, you know. Mm -hmm. And we were like, shit, you know. So I guess we're having a sister Um, because she knew the the sex by then. Uh, We didn't know. Um, but she did end up filling us in. She just told us she was pregnant, and then she was like, oh, yeah, it's a girl. So we're getting another sister. Um, so, yeah, it was almost exactly a year later. She came back to Texas, and the first thing she did when she came back to Texas was came back to our place in Canyon and, like, sat in the backyard with us, like, nine months pregnant, like, about to have this baby. And we all just sat around her, you know, just listened to what she had to say. She was pretty... Uh, obviously super tan and uh, you could tell that her face was like older from the experience you know just living on the streets ages you really quickly mm-hmm. and just super pregnant like looks like she was about to burst and um, yeah she ended up giving birth not too not too long after that maybe you know a couple weeks after she moved back to Texas damn dude um, ended up moving in with one of her friends and, um, yeah, the baby was born. Her name was Hannah, Hannah Elizabeth. And then, um, she found out that the dad actually died. The renegade actually died on the streets. 
and um, the baby, I can't, I can't remember exactly how long, but it ended up dying of SIDS. Hannah did, uh, our youngest sister. And I mean, it couldn't have been, it wasn't too old. It was, we found out on, on Valentine's day mm-hmm. that she had passed. Like my mom got us all together. Let us know, Hey, you know, something happened to the baby. Um, she's not with us anymore kind of stuff. We are like, well, what happened? And, um, she's like, well, it's this disease that affects, you know, a small percentage of babies where they just stop breathing, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just really confusing. Everything was so confusing. Dude, that's wild. Yeah. Um, sometime in between that period, <laughs> my mom's probably the craziest part and I hate to like dox her super hard or whatever, but. I don't know. It's just good to talk about this kind of stuff to get it out there. And yeah. we, we've had some of these conversations too. And I don't know, to clarify, my mom and I have done like a lot of reconciliation and started getting together and trying to work through a lot of that trauma that she caused me, you know, mm-hmm. and it's been going well. And I know all of the things she's done she's had good intent and she, she meant well, um, and always wanted to do what was best for me and my sisters in a lot of ways. Um, so I do want to clarify that, but, um, I don't know. She definitely had her streak of, of getting into some shit for lack of better words. So a lot of the like childhood trauma I have is definitely on my mom's side. And then my dad's side, kind of had a similar amount of trauma as well. Um, just more him getting addicted to meth and all the stuff that kind of came with that. Um, let's see. So I was, this was about 13. So about a year, a year after my mom's, uh, Nick adventure into the wild. Um, my dad started kind of getting into some sketchy stuff. And even as a kid, I knew that it was sketchy because we would every once in a while, you know, my grandparents would have something to do and he'd be like, well, I guess you're with me for the day, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'd go places. Um, and I remember specifically he was dating this, this lady who had these two kids and um, we would go play with them, you know, at their house. And their house was really, really dirty, like, like pretty fucked up, honestly, like horrible living conditions, smelled awful. Um, the first time I ever saw maggots in my life was in their home. No shit. They had uh, they had um, their refrigerator and their electricity was out half the time. Mm-hmm. And so they'd have, you know, ham, like a package of like Oscar Mayer ham or whatever, just chilling on the table. Um, so, you know, I got curious, started walking around, just looking at stuff. Like, I didn't really understand. Like, luckily, we didn't ever have that, like... When we were growing up, we grew up at least with the necessities, you know, yeah. food, electricity, house overhead. It wasn't like we had to live through that those kinds of conditions. But I remember just seeing the ham and I smelled something awful and I was trying to figure out where it was coming from. So I opened the ham, completely spoiled and just like maggots crawling oh, through it. God, Disgusting. Dude. And there, it was in like all of their food. Like they had like jam jars that were half open that full of maggots. Like, I remember their floor was sticky. I never knew why their floor was sticky. Um, the kids were sweet. But I remember one time uh, 
there was a little boy and a little girl. And like I said, I was probably about 13. They were younger, um, maybe eight, nine, nine, ten, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And I remember the little girl was crying one day because her head was bothering her. And so we were trying to figure out what was wrong with her. You know, her mom was pretty um, emotionally unavailable. And she and my dad would just like hang out or whatever and probably do meth or whatever. You know, yeah. I didn't I wasn't fully aware at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would just tell us to hang out, you know, until it was time for us to leave. So we'd kick it with them. Um, the little girl was crying about her head and we were trying to figure it out. My sisters and I. Um, so I like look in her hair and she just got like lice, just eggs and lice crawling mm-hmm. through her hair, which couldn't have felt great. So I was trying to tell her mom and her mom was just like, yeah, we already know we're taking care of it, you know, kind of stuff. Okay. So I was trying to explain to her what lice were. Like I had read about them as a kid and heard about, you know, like they send like the little flyers home for yeah. you when you're in school. <laughs> like, hey, make sure you're washing your hair. And if you think you have lice, make sure you're getting, uh, going to see the the doctor or whatever to get the shampoo. Right. Yeah. So I was trying to explain to her that those are lice and they're like a, bad bug that lives in your head mm-hmm. and you have to get a special shampoo to kill them. And she just didn't understand. Um, anyways, a few times we were over at their place and I don't know if they were buying drugs or what was going on, but I remember um, we'd be in their house. It'd be pretty late. And um, the, there was one night that I specifically remember where I don't remember that lady's name, to be honest with you, but she came out, told us to lock the door and duck. Mm-hmm. And so lock the door, duck. She's peeking out the window. And I decided to like, look out the window too. And there were these guys running through the yard, um, all black. And they started shooting through the windows, what? just like shooting at the windows. And so we're just like, they're covering our heads um, just like what's going on. Um, and then she's like, I already called the police. They're on their way. And she's yelling at him too. Like I already called the fucking cops, get off my lawn kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were just confused. Um, me and my sisters and, and the kids, we were just like, what the fuck's going on? You know, yeah. like what caused them to shoot at this house and what was going on. And anyways, uh, this goes to a little later point. Um, my dad tells me he might be going to jail. And um, one morning, like, he wakes me up at, like, 5 in the morning, right? He was like, I need two favors. I'm like, okay, what do you need? And he was like, I need you to pee in this, and I need you to take this box and go as far away as you can and bury it. And I was like, okay. Um, so I got up. I'm, like, half awake. And I, like, pee in this bottle for him, give it to him. And then uh, he was like, you got to go now. Like, you need to go bury that now. And he told me, like, a good location to go bury it. It was kind of like, so like I said, we lived outside of Canyon. There was, like, a lot of open land around us. Mm-hmm. He told me to bury it where it could be found. Um, so he told me to roll a tire and put a tire and then dig a hole under that tire. And then when he gets back from uh, where he was going, that I was to tell him where it was, where I buried it. So I was like, okay. And so I get up, try to wake up a little bit, go outside. And like I said, it's like probably five in the morning. So it's still dark at that time. 
So I'm just like running through this field because he told me to go fast. So I ran through this field with the shovel and the box in one hand. And I'm still 13 at that time. So I mean, I'm just still pretty small. I mean, I was a chunky kid, but um, still like holding a full size shovel, <laughs> yeah. like a shoebox is kind of uncomfortable to run with. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't, you know, you don't understand urgency, like levels of urgency at that age. You're just like, oh, he told me it's important. I got to go as fast as I can. So <laughs> right. I'm like sprinting, yeah. like tripping, um, half awake. Uh, so I go and I roll a tire into this field um, around a bunch of junk. And I tried to make it to where it was really obvious where the tire was um, if you were looking. But if you weren't looking, it would just look like, oh, this is just a bunch of junk, you know? Right. So I flipped it and I dug the hole um, like probably four foot deep, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit taller or a little bit shorter than me, but almost as tall as me at that time. And then I decided I was like, well, I have to know it's in the box, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I open it and I just see like bags of substances and like needles and like um like uh tubes you know like it looked like test tubes and stuff Mm -hmm. and like i didn't really know what it all was and like tape and uh rubber bands and stuff so i was like okay i don't really know what this is but it's important to my dad so i bury it cover the hole try to make it as flat as i can throw some dirt over it and run home and then uh, a few months later uh we're just sitting at home and police pull up and say they've got a warrant for my dad, you know, so they grab him and um, ends up going to court. And they're like, OK, um, you're here for the like it's like a petty theft charge, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I guess there was a string of petty theft charges. Um, he had been like going out, stealing lawnmowers, selling them and buying drugs at the time, they didn't know about the drugs. They just knew that he's stealing lawnmowers, you know? Right. And so he ended up getting caught in, like, a string of, like, uh, theft mm-hmm. that he ended up going to jail for uh, initially for, like, nine months. And they moved. He started in Randall County. And then they they were trying to figure out what jurisdiction is under. I think he spent some time in Potter. And then the rest of his sentence he spent in Abilene. Um, so it was nine months and then nine months in total. Yeah. Yeah, At first. And then he came back, got some drug charges cause they, you know, they pulled him over. He had drugs on him and paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. And so they put that together and then I don't remember how long he was gone, but it was, I mean, most probably most of the time, like around the time you and I met, I think he got out of jail when I was like a junior. Yeah, so he got out of jail. I met you. Dude, I, when, did, when, did I, when did I meet I Okay, when I met you, I, your dad was out of jail. Yeah, but probably like freshly out of jail. Yeah, yeah, it was fresh. Because you were, so I guess, so I guess, yeah, that, that timeline matches up because I was about 13 when he went to jail the first time. He was only out of jail for a few months before going back in. And then high school started and I met you when I was a freshman. Because Evan and I were like best friends through junior high. Right. And high school. And then, yeah. So when I met you, we were a freshman. You were a sophomore. 
So I remember going to your house um, for like one of the first times and Evan was riding with me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, have you ever been to Broderick's house? And I was like, no, this is my first time. He goes, okay, don't say anything about his dad being in jail. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, well, okay, okay, I won't say anything. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, I didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. We went over there after band. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, after probably summer like, band. Yeah. Summer band. So yeah. probably just like doing two days or whatever. We yeah, were doing. exactly. Yeah. 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 We went and like passed out on your couch for lunch and then we went back to band practice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's just, that's what Evan just told me. That's funny. I was like, all right. He must have. I never knew that. And, but I bet he told a lot of people that like, I bet he, I don't know, just knowing <laughs> the type of friend that Evan is, I'm sure he was always just like worried about people saying stuff about that you know and so you yeah. just like tell people like hey man don't bring this up right <laughs> like yeah. it's i don't know yeah i really appreciate that about evan he's oh good. yeah he's, a good, he's a good dude man still talk to him to this day yeah he's a ah, he's a sweet man yeah and i remember i talked to him um or i had he he'd always he'd been like you don't it sorry man. <laughs> he's like i think it's about drugs but it really doesn't matter yeah i was like all right that's fine, man. I don't. I wasn't gonna say shit. I don't know anything, you know. Yeah. I just met you guys, and uh, no, but that was a really cool thing of him to do. Um, yeah, he, he always kind of looked out for people. He knew some shit was going on for sure. He knew that like my home life was rough, mm-hmm. like growing up. As far as well, like just it was traumatic. Uh, my grandparents were great. Like I can't say anything but great things about my grandparents because I feel like they really raised me. Mm-hmm. And kind of provi- provided some stability in all the chaos, you know, because my, I don't know, my mom and my dad were both fucking around and just doing stupid shit. And my grandparents were always like solid as rock, trying to look out for us. Right. Doing great things to make sure that we had everything we needed. So, yeah, your grandparents are very sweet people. Yeah. Very, very sweet. Yeah. Still are. Yeah. <laughs> So what, okay, so I meet you, so this matches up about the time that we meet, yeah. right? And then your dad, when I knew your dad, he was clean. Yeah, so he got out of jail the second time and, like, went full on, like, um, evangelist, like, dedicated his life to Jesus, um, got a job working for, um, it's called Cornerstone Outreach. Right, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, like a nonprofit, but it's, he worked, like, there was a federal part of that that he worked for. He worked for like the government side of it, which did like the warehouse and stuff Mm -hmm. and the things that couldn't technically be nonprofit because they were doing, I don't know. It was weird how it all played out. There was a company in there and it was a nonprofit and he worked on the federal side of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, kind of got his shit together, got a job, was doing really well. And we were still living with my grandparents at that time. So yeah, he had that nice truck. Yeah. He had the Ram, the Dodge Ram and Mm -hmm. he bought, he, he got the first iPhone. I remember like thinking like, dude, my dad is so like well off. He has an iPhone, you yeah. know, like that's the craziest phone I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Like the original brick right. iPhone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang, dude, my dad's well off. Yeah. I remember um, <laughs> your dad took a skateboarding one time. Yeah. Actually, he, we went and bought you that brand new deck. Remember we went and brought you that, that uh, pink deck? Yeah. The yeah. mystery deck. Yes. We went and got you that pink mystery. Obsessed with it. Yeah. And then... um. He let us listen to Bless the Fall in the truck. Yeah, because he was <laughs> religious. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, dude, this is badass. Yeah. My parents hated, you know. All the music yeah, he yeah, listened yeah. to. <laughs> but he was like letting us listen to it. I was like, this is badass, dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that was that was definitely like the best and most um, well put together my dad's been as far as I've known him. Like when I was younger, 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 
he was working jobs, so I feel like he was fairly well put together, but kind of like in the sense of like somebody that just got their first job out of high school and their first place to live, you know? Right, like figuring like it all out. You're put together in a sense, but you don't know, you don't have all the life skills right, that yeah. you need to actually, you know, coast, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're still like, you're... You're swimming towards the surface, but you're not like coasting on the surface. Yeah, it so. takes a couple of years. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. So what what ended up happening? I mean, you're going through high school. I remember a couple of days you would wake up tired. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to put together timelines, but I remember really in your senior year after I graduated. Yeah. I remember you just looked tired. Yeah. And, uh, Evan would always be like, "He's just, you know, it's just, you know, he's just going through some stuff." So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a number of things. I was always a night owl, and by that time, I was definitely done with school. So there's there's a few things that kind of go into that. For sure, the first thing I did that summer was buy, like, a bunch of sweatpants, and I was like, I'm just going to wear sweatpants this whole year, I and I'm going to sleep in every every class that I can mm-hmm. and get away with it. Um, part of it was I was just staying up too late making music, and just like, cause my like release from a lot of this stuff was just like throwing on the headphones in my bedroom, closing the door and just like going at it as long as I could mm-hmm. just making tunes and playing guitar or whatever I was doing at the time, you know, music wise. And so I do that a lot. Uh, just trying to like understand everything that was going on and like why I was feeling the way I was feeling about all this stuff. And so my dad did really, really well. I want to say for a couple years after that. So probably about till my senior year. And then he had, I mean, the church he was working out was absolutely insane. Like they were doing miracles. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And little extremist. Yeah. I'm not very religious. I'm definitely, um, I don't know. I'm, if people are religious, I'm respectful about that. You know, like I'm not going to tell people, what they should or shouldn't believe. And I think everybody should believe what they want to, because that's something that none of us know. So Mm -hmm. if they want to believe that, you know, great. Like it's not my place to tell somebody what to believe, um, that no one's certain of. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I sit there. Uh, but yeah, that church was wild. Like they were doing on, on site miracles and doing exorcisms and stuff like that. And my dad, since he was working at that spot and they had a church, he was like, well, we should go to church there, you know, as a family. I remember by that time I was kind of like over it. Like I didn't want to go to church, but I did want to spend time with my dad. And I was glad he's doing well, you know? Yeah. So we'd go. It was weird, but he would do like he was really, really into it. Like I said, when I said he was an evangelist, like I feel like he went full on into it. Mm -hmm. Every question I asked him during that period he'd pull up a Bible verse, you know, he had studied it and studied it. And while he was in jail, he studied the Bible, excuse me. And, um, got so into it. And it was like, it was to the point where I was really annoying because I just want like dadly advice. I didn't want like godly advice. Right. I wanted him to be a dad, you know, like I'd ask him about a problem I was having with a girl or something. He'd be like, well, you know, at your age, you shouldn't really be concerned with that. What you should be concerned with is the, you know, making sure you're following the teachings of Jesus Christ and making yourself holy, you know, yeah. kind of stuff. I'm like, that doesn't really. <laughs> yeah, all you want is for him to be a father. Yeah, I want yeah. you to be my dad. Like, yeah. I understand if you relate to that, but like right now I don't. I need like a dad mm-hmm. to like tell me how to navigate this stuff. 
Because I know at your age, like, I know my grandpa, and my grandpa is religious, but not, like, over, like, in-your-face religious. Right. My grandpa wasn't giving my dad those kinds of lessons, you know? My grandpa (laughs) was, like, giving him, like, you know. Just real talk. Just real talk. Yeah. And that's that's what you need at that age, especially in high school. You need somebody to real talk with you Um, because there's so many confusing things going on. Mm -hmm. You're seeing your first girlfriends, you know, or. Yeah. You're dealing with your first major conflicts among friends and you're like confused about so many things like your your brain's developing faster than you can comprehend. Right. And uh, yeah, it was really weird. Let me ask you this, man. In school, you were so popular, dude. You were like, like, I never talked to anybody that didn't know who you were and that didn't love you. Yeah. And but like in the in behind the scenes, your, your life is just. You know, it's it's not really together. Like it's not what it's not ideal, yeah. and it's not you know it's it's hard. Not, I mean, not that your life wasn't together, but like just everything. It was just it was just a hard life. How did you how did you do that, dude? Everybody loved you. You were never rude. You were never rude to anybody. Uh, I mean, okay, we were. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, there's a couple fuck offs. You know what I mean? But fuck them. There's always there's, there's always gonna be those kids. You know yeah, what I mean? You gotta sure. you gotta fuck with those kids. Otherwise, yeah, they'll get no nuts. Sure. But um, but you you seriously, man. Everybody. Even now, dude, if I see somebody from school and we just talk mutual friends and I'm like, mm-hmm. if you get brought up, it's never anything but kind words. How did you, how did you always keep that attitude, man? Um, I don't know. So part of it, like going through those types of things when no one else is and even like, cause obviously I had led on to Evan, like some of the things I was going through. Mm-hmm. I didn't let on to anyone all the things I was going to going through during high school. Um, and so you have to internalize a lot of that stuff and you have to realize that because of these things, you're not the same as everybody else. But also it teaches you that other people may be going through things that aren't, you know, that they don't know how to talk about and they don't know how to articulate and uh, you should be respectful of that. So you can't just assume that people have it all because, you know, say their parents are together or, you know, they're well off. They got a car right when they turn 16, you know, like a really nice car. You can't assume just because they have nice things or on the surface, it looks like their lives are going well that they may not be fighting battles themselves. And so I always like took that perspective into any any engagement that I had with anybody. And I tried to treat everybody with that that um, in mind, you know. Right. And whether they realized that I was kind of looking through that lens or not, I think it just came off in a way that was positive to yeah. them. So um, they noticed that I gave a shit to some extent. And right. I think that was important. So no, you really did. Like uh, talking to you is always very. Uh, you're always very attentive. You were mm-hmm. very attentive to everybody. I didn't give a fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when people talk about me. It fucking reflects it. So um, whatever, man. I and I got no one like me. I didn't like anybody. So, uh, but but you genuinely got along with everybody, and yeah. it was like, I don't know, man. It was really cool to yeah to see that. I think I mean to an extent. I also didn't give a fuck because. Like, there is petty stuff that would come up, 
And that's when I would get kind of like aggravated or like annoyed. I wouldn't say aggravated. I'm a I'm pretty even killed person. Mm-hmm. I don't get angry very often. Like literally, I think the only time you probably ever saw me mad was when I kicked Pablo. At <laughs> <laughs> the Taco Bell, right? Taco yeah, Bell. Yeah. I think that's literally like the only time during uh, that period that I ever got legitimately mad. And I don't even remember why I was so mad. I can remember one other time. Uh, we were... Oh, Keenan woke me up. <laughs> I don't even know if it was that. Cover Starship. Keenan woke oh, me up no, and I no. swung his guitar at him. <laughs> yeah, okay, so there was that. Okay, no. But then also one time me, you, and Evan were hanging out, and we went and got some food at Wendy's or something, <laughs> and we were supposed to pay Martin's mom back uh, with the money or something like that, yeah. and we were like, oh my God, you're spending Martin's mom money, and we just went too far, and, uh, you, got bit, and you bit me. I did you. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. Damn, dude. But that was like, I mean, we like really put it on. I was pretty demented then, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh Damn, dude. God. You're probably the only person I ever bit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, dude. That tells you that, oh, dude, if you want a cookie, bro, more than welcome. But like, that's the level that I think we pushed you to was, yeah. uh, because you were so even killed. Like, you never, yeah, never got upset. We could piss Keenan off in two seconds. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It was Just, different. I honestly feel so bad about how poorly we treated <laughs> Keenan sometimes, man. No, I mean, fuck that guy, bro. He's a, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I love Keenan. I haven't talked to him in years, but, um, but yeah, so you're battling this battle, dude. You go through high school. Your dad stays clean for a while, but not forever. Yeah, not forever. Um, so as a falling out with the church, they did Bible studies. They got to a point where my dad didn't agree with the doctrine that they were doing, and he didn't agree with, um, like, some of the things they were doing in the church. He felt like they were unholy, like, I mean, doing miracles. Like, when I say doing miracles, I'm talking, lady walks in, one leg is a foot shorter than the other. She's, Mm -hmm. like, hobbling in, you know? And he's like, you know, we're going to pray over her, and we're going to heal her today. Power of Jesus Christ is going to extend her leg and give her that quality of life. Yeah. So, you know, they make us bow our head in prayer. We're all sitting there. And some people start speaking in tongues. And, like, it just gets really, like, sweaty and horrible in there. (laughs) Just, like, uncomfortable. Yeah, just uncomfortable. And he's just, like, yelling. And then he's like, everyone, open their eyes and behold the power of Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he, he starts, like, trembling. And her fucking leg starts like adjusting, Just expanding. Yeah. yeah, and um, oh yeah, <laughs> she walked in with a block under her other foot, and she was still hobbling. They had a block that was compensating for the difference. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And so he said, "You're not going to need this anymore." And he throws the block across the church and tells her to stand up, and she's just like perfectly well. Oh my gosh! Um, they had another one where they cured cancer. Um. Lady comes in. He's talking about all of her results, all the things that the doctor's been telling her. So he's like, we're going to, you know, put it out there. So they're doing the prayers, the tongues, and um, she gets a phone call in the middle of the service, and she's like, you have to excuse me, it's my doctor. And he's like, well, please, honey, let us know what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And so he, uh, he stands next to her, and through his mic, you're hearing the doctor talk, you know. And he's got his arm over her, just like, I hope it's good news, you know. And the doctor said, you won't believe this. Like, everything came back clear, you know. And stuff like that can happen, obviously. But 
Not, I don't know. Not every Sunday. <laughs> Not every Sunday. Between the hours of Not 11 and 12. Not every Sunday, <laughs> man. Come yeah. on. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, yeah, so he had, he had some disagreements, and then he tried to do his own thing with this other guy that studied the Bible, had similar beliefs as him. And then eventually, uh, so he was seeing this girl that also worked up there, and everything was going really well. And then she cheated on him. Mm-hmm. And like, it, I thought they were going to get married. We all did. And she treated us like her kids and she cheated on him and it just set him in a spiral, man. And, um, so stuff started getting weird again. You know, he was getting really aggressive again. Like he wouldn't, he never like laid hands on us in that way. Like if he was feeling aggressive, like he wanted to like physically hurt someone, he would leave. I think he, he only like hit the shit out of me like once mm-hmm. that I remember and it's because I followed him. He told me to fuck off. You know, he was like, dude, you need to fuck off. Um, I'm not in the mood for you right now kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I was just trying to understand, like, why he was feeling that way. And that was the only time he ever hit me. Um, other than that, not very aggressive towards us. Like, he'd go and take care of his aggression elsewhere. Yeah. Um. So he got into that stuff. This was, yeah, so this was towards the end of high school. Got really, really deep into it. Started seeing this other chick that was that girl's cousin uh, who was also into drugs, like specifically meth. And I mean, I would find his shit like as I got older, I knew what it was. And so I'd find his shit laying around in his room. His room started. It went from being super um, tidy to like really unkempt, just shit laying everywhere. He was up to like five in the morning. Um, just had drawers full of stuff, cigarette butts everywhere. Like, I don't know if y'all ever came over during that period when. No, I never did. Um, every time I was at your place, it was really, really clean. Yeah. Very clean. Um, yeah. So that would have been, yeah, towards the end. That was towards the end of high school. Kind of got really bad. Um, ended up going to jail again. Um, he had just bought me a car. His, his buddy had a car. Um, it was like a Mazda MX-3, like a little tiny. I don't know if you've seen them. They're just like great. I remember you had that little red Mazda, right? Yeah, a little red Mazda. I had it for like a little while. Um, Did you go to jail after you graduated? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I was at that time, I would have been about 19. Um, so pr- pretty fresh out of high school because as soon as I graduated, I moved out of my grandparents' house and got a full-time job at a convenience store. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I had my Grand Am for a while, the original red car, mm-hmm. and then that one went down. And then I didn't have a car for a while, um, and then he got me the Mazda. and I had the Mazda for a while. Um, and then shortly after he got me the Mazda, he went to jail. Um, and he finally got his court date. And around that time, I got in a car accident like I pulled out by the studio, which is downtown. I think you've been there maybe uh, once. Devil's Rope? Yeah, Devil's yeah. Rope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was pulling out of there. This truck hit me going like 45 miles an hour, like T-boned me. And it pushed us off the road, and then the truck left. Uh, but I think they thought they killed us. Uh, it was my buddy Topher and I. I think they thought they killed us, so they circled around to see what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And the police had gotten there by that time. And I was like, I'm like 90% that's ninety percent sure that's the truck that hit us mm-hmm. because they didn't have any leads. I mean, we had the license plate. A bunch of people saw it. They all gave the same account, same license plate. 
And I looked and saw the license plate, and I was like, yeah, that's got to be them. So the police yeah. caught them. Um, anyways, my car my car got totaled from that accident. And the insurance company uh, told us how much we were going to get since it was totaled, you know, and that they'd give me a check. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember going to my dad's court date, and they posted his bail. Um, and they are like, yeah, if you uh, this is going to be his bail. I don't remember how much it was. I got like $2,000 from the car, something like that. And his bail was like $1,800. Mm-hmm. And, um, he called me before they released him from jail. He was like, Hey, I heard about the car. I'm sorry that happened, you know? Um, but I promise you, if you use that money to, get me out of jail that I'll, I'll be clean. You know, I'll, Uh I'll do what I need to do to be clean. And, um, you know, we can kind of start over again. (laughs) And, you know, being a kid, you're just like, you're 19 living out of the the home for a while. Like, I don't know. You're just naive. So I did it. I mean, I bailed his ass out, which spent all the money I had, you know, didn't have a car. But spent that and then gave the rest to my grandparents, you know, because on top of the bill, they had to pay like processing fees and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had been toting us back and forth and whatever. So I just gave them the whole check. I said, go ahead and, you know, get them out. And yeah, shit was rough. Um, I'm trying to think. I moved to Austin shortly after that. So there's a big patch where I wasn't really concerned with what was going on anymore. Like I had to get away from that situation. Uh-huh. Um, and I couldn't like keep going through this, like back and forth and my dad going to jail, getting out, getting back into drugs, going back to jail and getting bailed out and always getting bailed out and being unable to like behave that way, you know? Yeah. So, so this just was a continual behavior. Yeah, definitely. So we get out, be good for a little while and then get back into it. You know, somebody call him as soon as he's out of jail or, one of his friends in jail would get out of jail. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, I'm hanging out with so-and-so. If you want to come over, drink a couple beers. Then, you know, it's back in it. Right, yeah. So so I do remember um, you've always wanted to move to Austin. You mm-hmm. always, throughout, like, all the high school, that was, like, the goal. Um, yeah, so then I remember one day you were just like, I'm going. Yeah. And you did it, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously you did it. But, like, <laughs> so what What happened? And then one day you were back. I just heard you were back. Yeah, Um Let's see. So going there. Um, so I was going to school. I went to one of those scam schools <laughs> that does like, you know, they give you like a skill that you can technically get certified in without school. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to pharmacy school. Well, like pharmacy tech school. But they were telling you like, you know, if you go to our school, you have a higher, we have more contacts with pharmacy school. So if you want to transfer from here to pharmacy school, mm-hmm. we kind of have an in, we can at least write you a letter of recommendation and you kind of got like another layer of support to get into pharmacy school. So mm-hmm. at that time I was thinking like, yeah, I think I want to go to pharmacy school, like be a pharmacist. Like they make good money. Um, it doesn't seem like a job that I would hate. Yeah. And so I was doing that and then um, working at Tutan Toto the convenience store for the non-local listeners and 
Um, I also, while I was working at that tune totem, met the dude that owned Devil's Rope. And so I was doing studio stuff too. He had a studio. And um, as we went on, you know, we were doing more projects and school was hard. I was not getting very much sleep like most college kids. Like you just don't get sleep when you're in college. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, okay, I've got to make a decision because I can't do all these things at once. Like it's too hard to work here. Um, my lease was coming up with my buddy and I kind of had, I could make a move, you know, I could do something. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the guy that owned Devil's Rope, John, he was like, well, I mean, could you move back home or, you know, I'd like for you to come work here full time, but I can't guarantee you pay. Mm-hmm. But I think we could do some really great stuff. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? I could probably do that. I could talk to my grandparents or figure something out. Uh, what ended up happening was I quit Tune Totem, quit that school, and then ended up living at the studio oh, for really? like a, a period of time. Yeah. Um, so I just wake up, record, make music for like, um, that was like 2011 through like 2013, mm-hmm. 20, tw- towards late 2012. Uh, and then we decided we wanted to move to Austin. He wanted to go down to Austin, buy another space, start a studio there, more clientele. Yeah. Try to do the thing. So we we're uh, at that time, it was a group of us. Um, we're like, yeah, we'll just move down there. We'll get an apartment all together and we'll just kick it. I mean, rent will be cheap. Uh, we'll try to get the studio off the ground. You know, we all saved up some money, so we could coast for a couple months when we got down there, even with rent and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, it was chill. I mean, that was probably like some of the best time of my life, just like figuring yeah. stuff out because the studio didn't pan out. And not working out. No. So we ended up, I ended up getting a job um, or a few jobs when I was down there and just like coasting, just living, you know, mm-hmm. L-I-V-I-N, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just chilling, uh, learning, learning about life, like mm-hmm. living on your own away from home, like eight hours away from where you grew up and getting all those lessons, you know. And was it just chilled? You just didn't have to, you didn't have the stress of everything back home? Didn't have the stress of everything back home. No, I didn't really. Um, I mean, I kept in touch with my grandparents, kept in touch with my sisters. I didn't really ask about my mom or dad because I knew they were still going through their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely tried to, you know. So was, we, you weren't even talking to your parents at this point? No. Oh, no okay. When I was in Austin, I really didn't. Um, kind of just try to avoid it, like maybe on birthdays. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first year I lived in Austin, I didn't come home for Christmas. I think it was me and one other dude stayed in Austin and didn't come home for Christmas. We went to the movies. Um, it's chill. Yeah. 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 Like I missed like my family and stuff, but it's just too much. Yeah. It's too much, man. Like you go through that for your whole life. Like it, it was a good break from all the craziness. I mean, living in Austin had its own craziness cause I was dating someone at the time and we broke up, you know, a couple months into living together mm-hmm. and we had to live together the whole summer. So we had like a month where we were broken, broken up and the way our living situation was, was it was three bedrooms, three bathrooms. And they were like, it was like college apartments. So each room was rented individually. But oh, okay. since we had six people, um, 
that were going to live there, we three of us rented a room, mm-hmm. and then we shared it with that other person under the radar because it was only supposed to be three people living in there. Right. But we ended up having six people living there. Like, you know, there's only three people on the lease, but there's six people yeah, living there. seven at uh, 1.8. You know, damn, like, so. yeah, we stacked it up. That's Austin, though, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I mean, they didn't care. Yeah. All that much. Like, they maybe did, but they never said shit. So, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, lived, got a cool job. I ended up working with this, like, uh, food truck for a while. Oh, and no got into the food truck scene in Austin, like, as it was really expanding. Like, now, you know, you hear about Austin, you're like, food trucks. Yeah. But, like, back then, it was still, like, it was a thing, but it wasn't, like, as well-known as it was now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been so exposed on television now and on the internet that you're like, yeah, I'm going to Austin, I want to try the food trucks. Yeah. So, I got, it, got into work doing that, and really, I just chilled. I kind of did whatever I wanted to do, you know, if I felt like going out, I had a day off. I just wanted to go walk around the city. I could walk around the city, you know. Mm. I could go to a part of town I've never been to. I rode the bus pretty much the whole time I lived there, except for, like, two weeks. I had a car for two weeks when I lived there that went down. Um, (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, but I rode the bus. I learned the bus system and got around. You know, some of my friends had cars, so if we were doing stuff that needed cars, like, we could find people to get us around. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Just, just chilling. It definitely felt good to be away from the constant, um, like, I don't know, just that cycle, that, like, vicious cycle mm-hmm. that people that have addictions get into. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So then you, what was the whole decision to come back? Uh, was it not everything you thought it was going to be? Was it just kind of like you just needed a break, really, and everything, or trying to remember the like definitive reason why um i think part of it so i was working with that food truck company um one a few of us were already moving out so rent was getting more expensive and i didn't want to leave that company but i also didn't want to find another job because i put in a lot of hours at that company and at the time they didn't i mean they couldn't pay very well it was like a small like the whole team was like five people, mm-hmm. you know, five, six people. Um, and then on events, they'd bring in like helpers. Uh, like if we were doing huge events um, and they were working towards getting like a brick and mortar store, like they had signed the papers on a building. I had gone to the building with them. They're like, if you can just hold out a little bit longer, uh, we definitely want to compensate you. You know, you helped us get this far. Yeah. Um, Cause I was working every event that they did. Like before they were trying to find people to push you know, fit the piece in to just make it work. Um, and then when I joined them, they were like, yeah, I mean, you're a dude. Anytime we have something, we're going to call you, do the job with us. I got really close to the bosses. Uh, they, they have a barbecue spot called slab barbecue, um, slow low and bing and, uh, still there. They've got one restaurant. I think they were talking about opening a second, but they're doing great. And I still talk to them occasionally. Um, but they just couldn't pay me enough. And Austin was getting more expensive over the time I lived there. I mean, it was already expensive, but it was really, really expensive to live there. And then with more people moving out, I mean, it was just a little too hard. Yeah. And um, I had made some friends there, but not enough friends where I was like, yo, could I come live with you, you know? Right, yeah. And so, yeah. Um, 
I don't remember everything that was going on at that time, but there was some things that I wanted to do in Amarillo. Um, so I decided to come back. I was like, you know what? We'll just come back and see what's going on, figure some stuff out and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, ended up moving back to Amarillo, live, moving back in Canyon and then doing the studio thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got the devil's rope space back and did that. Like ran it, my buddy and I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how's it, how's it been since you got back? Um, pretty good. Um, let's see. I mean, really since then I've just been working. I did the studio thing for a while and then I did guitar center for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did management, moved to El Paso with that company too, uh, for a year and did that. Um, how was El Paso? El Paso is cool, man. It's, it's surprising. Probably one of the biggest surprises in my life. I think a big, so I got this random job offer when I was at Guitar Center, like the district manager at the time, who I really liked, called me and he was like, hey, uh, I've got an opportunity for you. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about it. And it's like, hey, there's this thing in El Paso. It's the same job you're doing now, but just on a bigger scale. You know, I was an operations manager. And he was like, yeah, I mean, we could get you down there. This is what the pay would be. I need an answer like in a week. Yeah kind of thing like it was pressing like they had just fired the dude down there they were already looking to move on something Mm -hmm. and I was like okay let me think about it I think part of my curiosity was just to like get in touch with whatever whatever drew my mom to that place you know like I think subliminally I think I had that in my mind um because I mean I would think about it when I was there and when I was when we went there the first time we drove in and it was dark Cause, um, I had enough money. And so I told Taylor, uh, my girlfriend, I was like, Hey, let's, let's just drive down there and see what it looks like, you know, see how it feels. And then if we feel good about it, let's look at some apartments and I'll give him the answer. And so we drove down there and pulled in it was dark and you just, as you're just driving through like some pretty flat, kind of like you're out here, except way less vegetation. And is, you know, progressively getting darker. We had been driving. It's about a seven hour drive, seven ish hour drive from here. You drive through New Mexico mm-hmm. and then just hit desert for a long time. And then finally you pull up on it. And it's just like mountains. Like there's a mountain range there called the Franklin Mountains. Um, yeah. So we pulled in. We're like, we, we dug it. I mean, we ate the next day, hung out, kind of went and saw the store, uh, checked some stuff out. We're like, you know what? Let's just do it, you know? The pay's good. The rent's not much more expensive than Amarillo. And with the amount of money I'd be making there, like, it just made sense, you know? Yeah. You're like, fuck it. Let's give yeah. it a shot. So we did. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, the job was hard. They had, like, a lot of issues there. I don't know if I can legally talk about it, but, I mean, they had some issues with inventory and all kinds of stuff. And so that's basically why they needed somebody to come down there and mm-hmm. help them get everything figured out. Um. Yeah, that's probably about as much as I can say about it. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but that was good. It was another break being from uh, away from here. And um, Taylor's mom got sick, so that's why we ended up moving back here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they've been going through that, and yeah, so that's what made us make the decision to come back. Um. Yeah, but we'll go we'll go back a, 
a touch because we did talk about a lot of my dad's stuff. Yeah. Um, and you asked me a question earlier about Holyoke. Um, let's see. This would have been pretty close to the time when we moved to El. Or well, maybe not. Maybe about a year before we moved to El Paso. Um. Let's see. So my mom was living in this apartment. And she was kind of. I mean, she's had like mental health stuff for a long time, like I told you, mm-hmm. and. She definitely had an opiate problem. Like she got addicted to opiates and it's like, I don't know. That's an addiction I wouldn't wish on anybody because not only does it just destroy your body, but it destroys like your spirit and your mind too, you know? Yeah. Like that's a really hard hole to crawl out of. Um, especially being able to look back on, you know, how much progress my mom's made these days versus seeing her at the worst. Anyways, one night, um, this is kind of the falling out my mom and I had. One night she calls me, and she you can tell she's not, like, in her head, you know? Like, she's not making very much sense. And the only thing I could get out of the conversation, like, we hadn't I hadn't seen her in a while. Like, not on purpose, just busy life, work. Um the only thing I got was I just drank a whole bottle of pills. You better get here quick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I like, I was living with Taylor and at her mom's house at that time. We were saving up money to get our own place. And, um, so I kind of told Taylor and Taylor knows like about all this stuff, you know, that's been one really cool thing. Like she's been able to help me navigate a lot of this stuff um she's had a lot of trauma of her own and so we've been able to help each other like it's been really cool to have a person that you can like she's probably the first person i had that i could really like all right let's dive deep you know let's go into all this stuff that i've been holding in for a long time and you know told me to see somebody see counselors and try to work on it you know Mm -hmm. um anyways so i tell her what's going on like hey my mom just called me and she told me and she just drank a whole bottle of pills and that I need to get there fast, you know, like she might not make it. And so, uh, I'm pretty, I'm freaking the fuck out. Um, Taylor's calmly just like, okay, well we can go over there if you want to, you don't have to go over there. Like we can call the police and just tell them to go over there. And I was like, no, I've got to go. She's like, okay, well you're going to have to call the police too, to go with you because if there's something going on and she needs medical attention, then we need to get it for her immediately. Yeah. And so we called the police, told them, hey, I'm going to my mom's. This is her apartment number. This is where she lives. <clears throat> um, she just told me she'd drink a whole bottle of pills. She didn't tell me what she took. I know she has a lot of pain medicine, and I know she's got, uh, like, an opiate problem. Um, and they said, okay, we'll send, you know, an ambulance, first responder over, and we'll meet you there. Don't go in without us. So I, I pull up, and I do go in. You know, and my mom's just like, laying there on the floor with a pill bottle next to her. And it was like, uh, it was like ibuprofen or something, but she told me it was something else. She said, I don't know. I just put everything I could find in this bottle and I just took it, you know? And she's just sitting on the floor, not making much sense. Like she had been crying and, um, like, I don't know if you've ever just like looked 
I don't, hopefully you've never had the misfortune of looking at somebody in the eyes that, um, isn't in their head, but like, if you ever see that, like, no, I know exactly there's just no about. light behind it, you know, yeah. like there's no life, there's no light. And it's like, they're not even there. It's like, they've, they've separated from this existence that we know. And it's just the shell of what was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's what she looked like. She wasn't making much sense. Like her eyes just like super gray, kind of glossed over. Like she was saying like all kinds of crazy shit that I didn't understand, you know, talking about the devil and talking about like just, I don't know, just saying sentences that didn't really make much sense and saying I failed you and all this stuff. And so the police get there, they walk in, ask me what happened. You know, I told them again, I was like, Oh, I called the, the dispatch and told them, um, my mom called me and told me she took a bunch of pills. I don't know what she took. She told me she mixed everything she had. I can't tell you if that's true or not, but uh, she's definitely not in her head right now. And so the officer took me outside. And he was just talking to me for a while, kind of asking me what the history was. And I was like, well, I mean, she's been in and out of the pavilion. She has an opiate problem. Um, we don't know. I've, I don't fully know the scope of what's going on with her. And... Um, I've only had like bits and pieces of understanding of the things that she's gone through in her life. So I don't really know um, everything. I just know this little bit. I know she's got a drug problem. I know she's addicted to pain pills and opiates and um, she's definitely got mental health problems as a result of that. If not on top of, you know, pre-existing mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she do all kinds of crazy shit for attention. Um, when, when she was on Facebook and stuff, like when my sisters would get busy, my sisters and I would get busy. We couldn't talk to her every day, you know, and she needed a certain amount of attention and she would do crazy shit on Facebook. So where hopefully our friends would see it and let us know, Hey, is your mom? Okay. Can you go check on her? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like one time she said, I don't have any food, which we all would offer to bring her food. Mm-hmm. Her neighbors took care of her too. They're like, you know, we'll bring her food. She's waiting to get on disability and for some disease that we didn't even know about, you know, mm-hmm. like never saw any documentation from the, the doctor or anything like that. Um, and so she would do stuff like she'd post up, Nobody will bring me food, so I guess this is the best I got. And she would take a piece of bread, and she had a cat, and she would put a cat shit in the bread and, like, eat it on Facebook video. Oh, shit. Yeah, and then, like, I get a text from one of my friends, like, hey, what's going on with your mom? I'm like, I I don't know what's going on with my mom. Mm -hmm. And it got so bad, like, it's not like you don't care, but it's like you're so, like, dissociated from Right. That, because you've been, you've seen it so many times, you've been through so many similar instances of that emotional abuse and that, like, Mm -hmm. that stuff where you're just like, I don't know, what is it now? Right. Yeah. I mean, you've gone through this in your entire life. There's only so much. Yeah. You know, you have to hit capacity at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what it feels like to hit capacity. You dissociate and you, like depersonalize you don't feel like a person you know you don't feel like you're worthy of the same things that other people are worthy of Mm -hmm. um as a result of those things and yeah i mean 
fucked up shit like that just doesn't phase you anymore. You know, you're just yeah. like, and that's, I mean, it's why people that get really heavily into like crime and like horrible shit, killing people and, you know, drug violence and stuff like that. Like that's the life they know. And they've done it so long that they do like, uh, depersonalize. Like they don't even see it as a bad thing. It's just like the life that they know, you know? Right, yeah. And same with trauma, like any other kind of trauma, emotional trauma, those types of things. Like once you've been through it so many, so many years, you're just like, well, this is all I've ever known. You know, mm -hmm. like, what is it? Yeah. It can't be as bad as you're saying. Cause I mean, I've seen worse, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Shit's fucking nuts. So you go, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, this is, dude, I, I never knew any, I never knew it went this deep. You know, I thought coming up with you, I just thought, you know, your daddy gotten arrested maybe for drugs, maybe not. You know, but he was always friendly to me. Mm -hmm. He was a good dude, man. He, you know, and like you said, he would talk about the Bible and stuff like that, the gospel all the time. Um, I remember going to Hastings a lot, and we would just talk about religion outside, you know. Yeah. Um, in my younger years, I was really religious, you know. Yeah, uh, I, re <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, so it was always interesting to talk to somebody, you know. And then, um, but I, I had no idea you were going through this, you know. But I do, you know, um, you've always played music mm -hmm. and your lyrics have always been very deep. You know, you don't write, you didn't write like another high school kids, you know, other high school kids are writing about like love, but on like a superficial level. Yeah. You know, whenever you write, it's, it's deep, bro. Like you don't under, when I would read your lyrics, I, I didn't, I couldn't comprehend what you were saying. Yeah. Because I, 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 you know, my trauma was a different, was a different thing. Yeah. You know? And, uh, what would you say was like your first? I, okay, I know you said you always channeled, you know, your emotions through music and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But what was the first project you started working on that like really, really started relieving? If you've even done that, yeah. I mean, there's any any music I've ever made, even going back to Dancing Under Streetlights, you know, <laughs> yeah, even though it was goofy, poppy, weird music, like crappy high school music, like even that was a relief to write you know it was an escape um in a way where you could write about things and say whatever you want i mean music lets you do whatever you want especially once you get away from like the constrictions of playing like with like an orchestra or a band you mm -hmm. know like you're playing somebody else's tunes they've already written their emotions so i always wanted to do my own thing and write my own emotions and my own songs and uh dancing on streetlights was like the gateway drug for that um, because, you know, I put on my headphones and I wasn't, I wasn't aware of all the bad shit that was going on anymore. Yeah. I was just like in my zone, just like, you know, putting sounds together. Um, but probably Mount Ivy was where it started to really, um, I was starting to get more comfortable with talking about stuff. Cause obviously I didn't talk about this stuff for a long time. And there's still a lot of people, I mean, probably people that are really close to me that don't know all this stuff, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and it goes back to that just, like, bad patterns of, like, not wanting to burden people and not understanding that it's okay to share that burden with people. Mm -hmm. um, Mount Ivy is probably where I started to get deeper and try to talk about some of those things. I mean, a big portion of Mount Ivy was talking about, like you know, big heartbreak, but there were times during Mount Ivy where I could kind of write 
I was writing about heartbreak, but I was always writing, also writing about things that um, weren't about that same heartbreak, you know, putting them together. Cause like in your head, I don't know, everybody's wired different, but in my head, like, yeah, I can be heartbroken about this, but it can also evoke some of the emotions of like that trauma, you know, mm-hmm. certain things that happen. Um, the reason that, I mean, I'm glad you brought up Holyoke that Holyoke is the most transparent I've ever been in a song about a situation. And it's that situation I was telling you about going to my mom's house when she said she took all those pills. It's great. Now that you said that the entire song like really wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. It like really makes sense. Um, but yeah, go, yeah, go ahead, man. Keep on. No, you're good. Um, or, you know, I'm sorry. Let me just say this, bro. Um, you know, you brought up Dancing Under Streetlights, which was years. <laughs> it was like a high school electronic band. Me and uh, what was a big band? Back? I set my friends on fire, right? Something like that, right? Like uh, or uh, the Ready Set, the Ready Set, and uh, uh, Breathe Carolina, Breathe Carolina. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we went for like that kind of vibe, you know. It was I'd, electronic um, pop music with a lot of auto tune. Yeah, and a stolen version of Fruity Loops. You know? stolen, <laughs> allegedly a stolen yeah, version yeah, of Fruity Loops. Yeah. So we were, you know, we we put out some some songs and then you continued it. Um mm-hmm. you you continued for a while. Yeah. You know, a couple of years, right? Um <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> dude, I love that shit. You know what? Remember that house party we played? Yeah. In Candy that shit was so much fun, that dude. Was fun. That was fun. Um but uh I remember watching I I don't write music. I remember watching you work and you really would just literally you would put on the headphones or you would just and you would zone out, bro. And you would work and you would do that and you wouldn't you wouldn't stop until you wrote the song. Yeah. And uh, everybody that was hanging out, you know, which anywhere there was a computer, we would call a studio. Yeah. So <laughs> anywhere we were hanging out, like we would pass out. Everyone would just fall asleep. But um, nobody wanted to bother you. Yeah. It was like very clear that like like he's working like this is his thing. This yeah. is just like he's comfortable, you know, because um, I don't know if you ever really looked comfortable back then. You Pro- know, probably not. You never looked settled yeah. or like. No, I was definitely like anxious. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's weird because now that like I've memories are just like flooding. You were, bro. Like, you know, we would all go to Keenan's, just fuck his house up. Remember that those gallons of piss <laughs> in, his, in his closet? But like, oh, like. You, those were good times. Oh, dude, like, dude, those are the fucking times, right? Those there, bro. are the times, dude. Um, we could make Keenan buy us black and wild, <laughs> and we'd smoke in his jacuzzi <laughs> and get and make Todd so fucking oh, mad. His oh dad, god, dude, dude, remember that one time he shit himself stepping on that car? <laughs> oh my god, but no, we, um, you know, you never. You weren't settled there, bro. Yeah. And, you know, looking back on it, you weren't comfortable or, you know, whatever it was, man. I mean, you were dealing with shit, you know. Um, but when you when you did music, like, you were just content. Yeah, that was the, the my zen. You were, I was fucking terrified to go to the War Legion and go to concert. The first time we went was hit by a bus, right? Yeah. That's the first one I ever went to. I was shit. That's probably my first. Yeah. Was it your first one? Yeah, and I had never driven to that part of town before. I'm oh, home. dude, I was shitting myself, yeah. bro. Dude, literally... Remember, we were talking to, uh, man, I, damn it, I shouldn't have, this is, uh, anyway, we were talking to, we were talking to somebody before the show, and we saw all the track marks. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking, like, where the fuck are we, dude? Yeah. Like, I thought that was, like, a movie thing. I didn't think that was real. Yeah, well, I mean, we were sheltered where we grew up. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we weren't used to seeing that stuff. Right, and then, but, like, the music starts playing, and I remember, uh, 
the guys that used to own it, they were like, it's okay to mosh pit at the War Legion. You know, it was a really friendly crowd. You know, yeah. no one's going to fucking kill you. I'm just like, what do you mean, dude? Someone's going to die if we mosh pit. But you, like, literally, dude, I remember looking at you, and you were just so cool. Yeah. Like, you were just, like, there. Like, you were literally present, and you were comfortable, and you were just, like, in your zone. Yeah. And then it helped me relax, and I was like, oh, okay, like, this is okay. Like, I don't know, man. But but anytime music was involved, you were just, like, you were okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The War Legion was cool as hell, too, because I remember the first time I actually did choose to, like, mosh and, like, get involved. Like, it was scary, dude. The dudes that went hang up, hang out there were, like, huge metal dudes. Oh, yeah, they were and big. And, like, I mean, I was a decent-sized kid. You were pretty small at that. Like, you were a smaller kid. Like, I graduated at 110 pounds. Yeah, bro. you were wiry. <laughs> yeah. And, like, yeah. yeah, so I could understand why you were more freaked out than me. Like, I was a, I was heavier set, for sure. And you're tall. You're, like, you're over six foot. I'm, yeah, I'm, like, teetering right at six foot. Like, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it was still freaky because those guys were even bigger than I, like I was, you know. And I mm-hmm. was a pretty big kid, but um, I remember the first time I got the shit knocked out of me at one of those shows, and this big metal guy just grabs me by the back of my shirt, lifts me off the ground, and he's like, "You're gonna be all right, brother. We're not gonna let anybody kill you, but we might fucking hurt you." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, cool," you know. Yeah. And that that gave me a lot of comfort being there. I mean, it was it was uncomfortable to be there, but. More so I wanted to see the music than I was worried about how I was feeling. Right, yeah. I just never, I didn't know that places like that existed where you could just like smoke and drink and like, you know, like when you watch a movie and it's like the punk skater kids with the mohawks and everything, you're like, why do they do that? Like, I don't dress like that. I listen to this music. But no, there's people that dress like that. Yeah, (laughs) and they're real. (laughs) That's their lifestyle. Yeah, especially like that Swedish uh, black metal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and dude, I went to a show one time. I wanted to impress this girl. And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to the black metal. I was like, oh, yeah, I love black metal. I'll be there. What did I, you know, whatever. I fucking hate black metal. Uh, I was fucking terrified. Yeah. That's a that's its own world. Yeah. You know, everyone was super friendly. It just wasn't my scene. Yeah. But, um, sorry, I kind of wavered for you, man. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I remember um, I saw you at Guitar Center. Mm-hmm. I went in to pick up a, a fucking ukulele, ukulele or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. for sure. I fucking love playing that thing. But I uh, went in there to pick it up, and you told me about Mount, Mount Ivy. Yeah, dude, I've you got to walk me through that track listing, even if it's not like super long stories about yeah. it or whatever. But dude, what? I'll have to go through. Yeah, I have not, to pull it up. But I'm not shitting you, dude. I listen to that stuff all the time. Like it's. Let me. I guarantee you, if you go on my phone right now, either Mount Ivy or Vamping is on my uh, is on my search list. Let me look. There it is, vamping right here on my fucking recents. I'm telling you, dude, I, I, well, I mean, for one, I did jam Holyoke today, but. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, dude, Mount Ivy is, like, the first project of yours that I was, like, holy shit, like, this is, like, you know, I think your progression was always, like, leading. And then when you heard, when I heard Mount Ivy, yeah. I was, like, okay, this is, like, Broderick. It's starting to get there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was definitely the first, like, because, okay, I wrote a couple of these songs in Austin. Uh, Wabi Sabi, the album that came out in 2016. Um, couple of these songs I wrote in Austin, and then, um, I don't know. Honestly, I was starting to understand the way that I felt, and starting to understand that it was okay to feel that way. You mm-hmm. know, so Mount Ivy, like we were kind of talking about, was the first project where I started to kind of put myself into the music in a real way. 
where it was uncomfortable for me, you know, cause I didn't want to feel so exposed. Like I hadn't really talked to people about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to an extent I wasn't so exposed cause a lot of the lyrics are still pretty cryptic, you know? Um, but I was starting to get more comfortable with like putting on a song that's just like, Hey, this is exactly how I feel. This is what I went through kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think, um, I mean, each song kind of has a different, different vibe. Um, there's some love songs on there. I just met my girlfriend around that time when I moved back from Austin. Um, so space camp and cherry frosted house. Those are both love, like love songs, like kind of vibes, uh, the colonies, um, that song's kind of interesting. It's about, it's a heartbreak song. It's kind of wrapping up my whole experience in Austin. Cause you know, I saw that girl when I moved to Austin and, uh, we broke up, but the last thing that happened before I left Austin is we met up and we hooked up and then I left Austin. Oh really? Yeah. And so the colonies kind of goes over that and it just felt super weird. Um, the whole experience felt weird. Like we both knew it was wrong. Yeah. Um, but it was just kind of a closure thing. Um, and then, I don't know, Monoe, Monoe is like your quintessential heartbreak song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that, I don't know if you've ever been dumped super hard. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you've been dumped super hard and feel a little all alone, Monoe is the town that has one person that lives there. Okay. And so I wrote the song Monoe because that's how I felt. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm the only person living in my head. You yeah. know, I'm the only person that's there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, so a lot of it still Mount Ivy. A lot of the Mount Ivy stuff I wrote is still kind of like in that vein of like heartbreak and love and those emotions. Uh, but moving towards like actually talking about stuff that I've gone through and wanted, you mm-hmm. know, talk about eventually. Um, so the 803, the 803 is like, it's a bus that is in Austin. And the 803 is kind of the full, my full reflection of living in Austin the things I learned, uh, some of the situations I've been through is probably like the first song I ever wrote that was really like had a lot of storytelling to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like all the stuff I think about, like I had an hour and a half ride on this bus from like North, North Austin down to central Austin. So I just sit on the bus and think, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd pop in my headphones and I'd just reflect and I'd think about life and the 803, is probably one of my favorite songs I've ever written because uh, it was the first song where I felt like I actually showed a part of myself like in that way, you mm-hmm. know, um, like even just a fraction. Like you're not going to know all who all these people are that I'm talking about or what all these situations are, but that was more than I was comfortable letting on mm-hmm. up to that point, you know. And then End of an Era. I love that song. That's, yeah, that song almost didn't make it on the record. Um, I hadn't, I mean, I had written like 20 songs for the record and only 10 made it or only nine made it, you know, out of the 20 or whatever many there were. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I really just don't feel good about putting out a nine song album. Even Mm -hmm. though I have all these songs, I don't feel like these songs are supposed to be on there. So it's like, I need, I need to write another song and it's got to wrap up kind of the way I'm feeling. And 
So I put everything on pause. Like everything else was done. You know, we had already recorded drums for every, I mean, everything was recorded. Most of it was mixed and I did everything. I recorded everything. I mixed everything. Um, we got it mastered in Dallas. Um, but I was like, Oh, I'm just going to write a song. So, um, I was talking to, talking to Taylor about something. Um, and we lived in this, like in her grandparents' house or her mom's house upstairs. And it was just really nice, like super relaxing vibe. And it's, I don't know if you've ever had a space that you've lived in that had like some sun through the window or like a bed that was really comfortable and you could just kind of like, you felt like you just drift off to sleep whenever you're yeah. super relaxed or like, you know, the evening hits and you're not worried about anything. That's mm-hmm. how that spot was up there. Like that upstairs room, like the window would come through in the evening and you just feel so serene and uh, just want to relax and you could fully relax. Um, and we were talking about stuff cause that was around the time with my mom and she was kind of explained to me like, you know, you don't have to have a relationship with your mom. Like if it's toxic, like you shouldn't have a relationship with her. And like if people, even if they're family, doesn't necessarily mean that they can't hurt you, you know, or that they're healthy to have in your life at all times. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that, you know, like I just thought like, I don't have very much family and the family I do have, like I kind of have to hold on to them, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it hurts or not. Um, and so, um, yeah, she was just kind of like, for lack of better words, like fucking me up with some truth about that. You know, (laughs) like you don't have to be that person. You don't have to let people that are toxic into your life, even if they're family, like you can, right. You can kind of, there's a hard truth to learn. It is. And it's, oh, it's so hard because I mean, we grew up in a very family, family oriented town. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't realize that until you get away. Yeah. But once you learn it, it's, uh, it can be freeing. It is. Yeah. It is freeing because you don't feel that conviction that you've put on yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, end of an era is like super cool. Um, she said some, I mean, she said it's the end of an era. Um, but she was also saying like, you know, you have to do what's best for you. You need to wake up speak of a purpose and just do it and go for it. You know, like whatever you want to do, if you want to be a better person, you have to do that. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to wake up and tell yourself what you want to do and you have to, you know, uh, show your intentions kind of stuff. Like we were having a really, really good conversation about that. And then, and then end of an air hit me. I mean, I was just playing acoustic upstairs. She was at work and I was off that day and it hit me. And I was like, okay, we're going to have to record the song. So I showed the guys the song. I was like, it's really easy. There's only four chords in this whole song. It's pretty much the same ones except for the bridge. We had this one extra chord. Um, But this one extra chord just kind of changes everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay. So I showed it to them. The guitar player was like, yeah, this is sick. Uh, Drummer was like, yeah, this is sick. The bass player didn't like the song at first, um, but it grew on him. And eventually we all dug it, but... Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I really started to get into, um, trying to be more transparent in music with Mount Ivy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So since that album was mainly about heartbreak and, and stuff like that, how, how have your relationships been affected with, with everything you went through? Um, 
Let's see. It's really, really so going back. Um, I mean, I've, I haven't dated like a ton of people, but I have, I, I've seen some people and it's really, really hard to be with somebody that hasn't gone through something similar or has a lot of trauma. Um, or has already worked through all their trauma, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to not see somebody that has that perspective on life or that lens that can't see the same shit as you. Um, cause it's really hard to explain. And it's really like, if you haven't done it or been through it, like it's, you can't relate on that level, you know, like yeah. you've been deeper and not even like, you know, like elitist or a weird way. Like, I don't feel like, Oh, I've had, more trauma than you. So I'm better than you or right, I'm like, yeah. or I understand more about the world, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's just like, you've been to places and once you've seen those things, um, if somebody else hasn't seen those things or looked through that, that filter, then they just don't understand and they may not ever understand mm-hmm. unless they go through similar trauma and you don't want that for anybody. Um, fortunately, um, a lot of the best growing, and healing that I've done has been with my current girlfriend because obviously we've been able to talk about a lot of this stuff and she has traumas of her own and um, yeah it just helps to find somebody in your life that you can talk to about anything and you know go as deep as you can with them um, so that you don't stay there by yourself mm-hmm so I don't know anybody that's had immense amounts of trauma. I would absolutely recommend them to find somebody, whether it's a counselor, whether it's a good friend that's had a lot of trauma, a girlfriend, spouse, whatever, yeah, family member, whoever you can find to talk about that stuff. Absolutely do it. And don't feel like it's a burden to talk about what you've gone through. Because it's not, you know, people yeah. are here to help you carry that weight and you don't have to carry it alone. So. so when you're going through these relationships early on, right, and you say it's hard to connect with people and it's hard to like, you know, I understand what you're saying. Exactly. Like, you know, one of the reasons um, I get along so wrong so well with Marissa is because we have both witnessed and experienced this trauma and you know, shit fucks you up, bro. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's weird. Nobody should have to experience, you know, certain things and then. You know, it's whatever, but, uh, so you, uh, I had such a hard time just, uh, like just being honest, you know, with early relationships, not like telling the truth, but like literally just, just like, just being like, just being willing to say like, yeah, I'm fucking frustrated or yeah, today's just not a good day. I couldn't convey those feelings, yeah. you know? I mean, maybe it's because I dated people that didn't have any trauma, you know, but mm-hmm. Um, where we grew up, there wasn't much. I don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe other kids were going through it behind the scenes, but to my eyes, it wasn't uh, as prevalent. You know. Yeah. But um, so did you experience those same things? Did you have a hard time with honesty? Did you just did you have a hard time letting people in, or would you let people in and then it just went? You know, they just hurt you, and then it just. Um, I would let them in, but and I'd talk about stuff, but I don't know. At a certain point, when somebody hasn't been there. Like, you, they just kind of can't. Like, it's almost like you're speaking a different language when you go that deep. Mm-hmm. And you realize that there's a difference 
in understanding that they may not have. And that hurts because you feel like, oh no, I took them down the deep end, you know, like, and then also like, yeah, you don't want to be completely honest because you don't want to scare them away. Like it's not, it's not that you want to be dishonest. It's just that you withhold that information right? for fear of scaring them away, making them feel a certain way about you. So I definitely had those issues earlier on for Mm -hmm. sure because you're just like, I don't know what, how much somebody can take. This is how much I've been able to take, but I don't know that everybody else is able to take that much. When did, when did, uh, so you met your current girlfriend, how many years ago? Right when I moved back from Austin. So about 20, let's see, would have been 20, late 2014. How'd you guys meet? Um, so we had, we had known of each other through mutual friends since about 2010. Uh, we had mutual friends. They hung, we never hung out with each other like earlier on, even at shows or anything. Um, but we had seen each other in passing and stuff like with friends. And um, when I moved to Austin, we were just like Twitter friends. So every once in a while, like she'd post something and I'd be like, oh, hey, that's cool. You know, we'd talk a little bit or vice versa. And then when I moved back to Texas or <laughs> moved back to the panhandle of Texas, uh, she was working at this coffee shop and I was just going to buy a record. I was like, just got back, had a little bit of money. Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the, go to Hastings, rest in peace and <laughs> yeah. give me a record. And she happened to be working in the coffee shop at that time. So I went through kids at that time. You could pay you there at the coffee shop or the front. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll get coffee too. I just saw, you know, the person that I know kind of through friends and kind of online. Um, so maybe we could talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so gave her my record. And she was like, oh, cool. never heard of this band. I was like, oh, yeah, they're from Austin. And I didn't think it would be here. And she made my coffee. And I was like, we should hang out sometime, you know? Damn, like, dude. Laying the big bars on her, huh? No, not really. <laughs> I was just like, oh, it'd be cool if we can hang out sometime. Yeah. Um. And she was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, I'll, I think she sent me her number over Twitter. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how it panned out. Um. And then eventually we ended up hanging out. So, damn, dude, yeah. it's crazy how that works out, right? Like, yeah, you never really expect to meet anybody, right? No, and I definitely wasn't at that time because I didn't really have shit going for me. I mean, I was getting back on my feet here in Texas or <laughs> the Panhandle of Texas. Texas is so big; it feels like you've traveled across the country, oh, dude. Yeah, when dude. you move across it, um, or you're just a fucking idiot like me, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I didn't really have shit going, but I guess I was just like, oh, I guess I'll shoot my shot. You know, that's cool. <laughs> At least it worked out, man. Yeah. And then, uh, okay. So let's, um, so vamping was a solo project while you were in El Paso. Okay. Yeah. So you started working on vamping. How long, when did you put out that album? Uh, 2017, 2017. Yeah. I put out desert plants in 2017. I started right. Like when I moved down there, I set up my music room. And then when I had time on the weekend or after work, then just mess around. Like, I can't just stop making music mm-hmm. no matter what, you know. And so I was just like, oh, I'll just make some tunes, and if I like them, I'll put it out. Mm-hmm. So made some tunes, just kind of hung out there. I mean, I made some friends at work. Um, one of them who 
is like our current official drummer for the band uh, who still lives in El Paso. Um, one of my best friends that I'm, you know, just randomly met just a random connection. Like yeah. we just ended up hitting it off. Um, so yeah, just dabbling, writing tunes, hanging out, walking around, just exploring El Paso. Um, going to a couple shows down there, like getting involved in the music scene and just whatever came up, you know, if I could go, I'd go mm-hmm. and just see what happens. Um, then finally got those tunes together for the first album and just put it out there. I was like, if people like it, they like it. You know, if they don't, I don't really care. Like yeah. I make music to heal. And if somebody gets something from it, that's amazing. You know? No, I've I've only heard like I've actually met a lot of people that like vamping. Um, yeah. I mean, hold on. I like I've met a lot of people that listen to vamping. Yeah. And uh, you know, always positive reviews. Um when did uh when Mount Ivy came to an end, was it just like it was just time? Yeah, it was time. Um I mean, at the end of it I wasn't I mean, there's some of we were all kind of in bad positions with each other, like I mean, me and the guitar player were close. Uh, me and the bass player were close. I ended up having to um, kick our drummer out, and we had bad, um, not bad blood, but, like, it was just not, I it's guess it was, some, it was some bad blood, I guess. And, like, nobody was getting along. It wasn't fun. Um, Like, I mean, I remember going to shows, and I was like, I hope the bassist doesn't drink too much tonight, I hope. Oh, damn. Um, the guitar player and the bassist can get along for an hour and a half so we can get through the set. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope everybody's on their game tonight, like, wants to play. Because, I mean, to this day, I still don't really, like, drink or anything before we play. Like, I try to be in the most clear stage of thought as I can. Yeah. Um, so I can be fully immersed in it. Uh, during Mount Ivy, there were times when I would, you know, get a little too sauced, lost in the sauce, and, like... I could just tell it was bad. I'm like, yeah, this is bad. But I didn't care because I was like, you know, a little sauced. Yeah. And, but yeah, so there was, just, it was just like, nobody was getting along. It wasn't fun. Um, it was just time for a change kind mm. of thing. And honestly, it ended up being better for everyone. So, <laughs> like, I think it would have been horrible if we stayed together. <laughs> dude, I, lo- I love, uh, I love so many of those tracks, dude. Space Camp, bro. That shit comes on. If I hear that drum roll at the beginning, I'm fucking, it's, it's going. a party starting somewhere, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah. And then you, so you transition of, uh, to vamping and what was, you know, you decided to bring in a whole crew. Um, yeah. So originally I actually put together a band in El Paso, um, which was the drummer I told you about my good friend Zane. And then, uh, some other guys, some that I worked with, and then um, they had friends, you know. So we put together a band, started, like, playing through the tunes that I wrote. And we booked our first show. And then everything that could go wrong went wrong. And so uh, our bassist couldn't make it. Uh, the guitar player had to work. The keyboard player was MIA. And what? so it was just me and the drummer. And we had booked a show in Las Cruces, which is, like, 45 minutes, maybe 40, 45 minutes from El Paso. And we were going to go play. And the drummer and I were like, should we play or should we just like get some tall boys and just 
hang out for the rest of the night. Just let him know we can't make it. Everybody, mm-hmm. like, bailed on us or whatever. So we ended up getting some tall boys hanging out. <laughs> um, but when I moved back, uh, we tried to bring Mount Ivy back together. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really working that well. The drummer um, ended up moving. Um, we were trying to find somebody else to fill in the spots. Like all the missing gas. And it just didn't feel the same. You know, yeah. it was like obvious that the time was up. Um, we tried out a bassist. And then um, the drummer and the guitar player at that time were like talking. They're like, I don't know. just feels weird to play this music. And so they approached me and they're like, what if we played vamping? You know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I didn't really think about that. Like I didn't ever think it would be heard in that way. Like it'd be like a full live band thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm open to it, you know? I don't know if I want to, but I'm open to it. And so the guitar player went home, learned like the whole album and like hit, hit me up. And he was like, Hey, check this out. And he sent me a video. He had looped like the rhythm part. And there's one song that has like a bunch of stuff layered over it. Mm-hmm. And he had arranged it in the way to where all the parts that you hear in the song, uh, are recognized in his part because there was like, I overlaid like three electric guitars over that one part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, there's no way you can play this song live without either looping, backtracking, or having somebody else play guitar. Right. But he'd written it in such a cool way where, like, the things that you're aware of when you're listening to the song were just apparent. And I was like, shit, that's pretty cool, dude. So <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, I guess we could, you know, do this do this, and put a band together for this. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've been doing ever since. So you're still working on, on vamping? Yeah, yeah. We're trying to get back together now after uh, you know pandemic and stuff yeah yeah but we're just recently starting to get back together and put together a lineup for it so mm-hmm. that's sick dude um dude i wanted to watch you guys so bad whenever uh, it was mount ivy and you'd always hit me up for show dates dude and i'd be like yeah i'm gonna be there and just just didn't pan just out just kids you know yeah. it's you know it's uh, but, but, uh, i think it's like three shaking. times i had my sitter bail oh that's you know and it's like damn it dude like and Marissa had never been to a concert. And I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta fuck, you know, I'm going to take you and your first one's going to be, what's up? Oh, I feel bad. I've got some. Oh, dude, don't worry about that, dude. Don't worry about that. That's all good. A little juice. <laughs> oh, man, it's all good. No, but like, so I always wanted to see Mount Ivy, but no, yeah, dude, I'll be, I'll, I'll definitely be there sometime for vamping. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know, man. It's just like the vibe of that music is just so chill. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, I don't listen to. I don't even know what I listen to, to yeah, be honest was, with you, bro. I was actually curious what you've been listening to. Dude, a lot of, uh, I don't know, man, you know, like, shit, be honest with you, bro, since DMX died, a lot of <laughs> DMX, bro, a lot of DMX. Uh, no, but like uh, some Ben Howard, some, um, yeah, I don't know, Rag and, like ben yeah, Rag and Bone Man. Uh, I don't know, man, so some old school, I listened to Chiodos the other day, just like. Just to get a cup of feel? Yeah, just like randomly <laughs> just turned on Chiodos or, you know, just, uh, I don't know, man. A lot of, a lot of I don't know. I don't yeah. know what I listen to. Just whatever, a lot of podcasts, too. Whatever you feel like. Yeah, it just kind of put something on. I put a lot of stuff on random now, you know, just kind of a browse thing, but, um, or a shuffle thing. Uh, Riz Ahmed. I don't know if you know. Oh, dude, he's an actor. You ever seen, like, Nightcrawler? 
or the sound of metal yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. Okay, the main the main guy, the 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 Pakistani guy in there. I yeah. Think that's what he would be, right? That's what he says in his albums at least. Dude, he's a rapper. Bro. It's good. It's good shit, okay. dude. It's good shit. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah, it's really good. You're gonna have to send that to me. Oh yeah, I will, I will. Um no, but like how did you come to this style, dude? This style's funky. Not like like the riffs are so like end of an era, that riff is just so like I feel like I'm on the beach. Yeah. That's too, yeah, I mean that's a lot of the vibe, a lot of the things that I've uh resonated with have been kind of beachy vibes. You know? Just, yeah. I mean I've been to the beach once and it's a really surreal experience if you've never been to the beach. The people that live there probably take it for granted. But going to the beach as someone that's lived beached on the land for so mm-hmm. long, you know, never around like a big body of water, like not Lake, but like huge body of water. It's just crazy. Um, so I've always resonated with like beachy guitar licks and like, like beachy music and that kind of stuff. Twingy guitars, reverb guitars. Um, yeah. And so that's definitely influenced the sound. Even in Mount Ivy, there was like elements of that and like, just old surf music that I liked. Um, and then Vamp is just me kind of doing whatever I like the sound of. Mm-hmm. It's more chill, more laid back. Like I like music that you can kind of just like throw on if you're on a trip or like right. just cruise to, you know? Yeah. I've played, um, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it was Holyoke that was playing. Uh, when I pulled up, when somebody pulled up to do the podcast and I was just playing Holyoke on my phone or whatever. And they're like, that's like what the Beach Boys wanted to be. That's like what they said. And I was like, Whoa. I was like damn. Like, I was like, damn. Well, I've always thought of it like surf music, bro. Yeah. Like, if I'm just like skating you know, on those rare occasions, I whip out the board. Yeah. But like, that's what I would just like listen to as I'm just cruising. You know what I mean? Brian Wilson. I mean, all the Beach Boys are gods, you know, in my eyes. <laughs> like, that's, that's the band that really did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, created the sound of a region, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, imagine, like, your music was so powerful that everybody on in California knew that's the Beach Boys and that's the sound of us going, you know, to the beach. Or that's yeah. the sound of us, like, just living our life mm-hmm. during this time. Yeah, like, it's that's insane. Yeah. It's, yeah, it really is, man. It's uh, it's special, that's mm-hmm. for sure. So what do you got planned out for the future, man? You wanna, you're going to keep on pursuing vamping? Do you have any other projects working? Or are you just, what are you doing? Uh, right now, just doing vamping. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of music in the backlog right now that's just waiting on me to stop working so much so I can actually, like, mix it and get it out. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely music coming. We want to do some cool physical releases of the music, like we're talking about doing vinyl. Um, maybe cassette again, because the cassette sold out really quickly. Um, surprisingly, you know, people still dig that. So, do you tell me about that. Was that wild? Was yeah. that just, like... They hit you up and they were like, hey, we want to, I yeah, need this. Yeah. Um, I feel bad if I mispronounce his names, but his name is Costas. And he runs a label called Mellotron Recordings in uh, Thessaloniki, Greece. And he hits me up on random, like on my email, because I had my email attached to the band camp. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, um, been listening to your music. I saw you're on this blog. Really love the sound of it would be interested in doing a physical release for your music. Um, I could ship worldwide. Um, I'm not looking for any rights to your music. I just want to make the release 
and sell X amount of copies on my website and I'll mail you X amount of copies uh, for you to sell, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'll keep all the pro- proceeds from the website. You can keep everything you sell and I'll put, I'll package it. You send me the tunes, you send me the art and then I'll redo it to my style mm-hmm. and then just send you the package, you know? And I was like, dang, this sounds like way too good to be true. You know, yeah. like, cause you're always worried with, those kinds of deals that they want rights or they want. And it's not like I planned on it being a huge release, like monumental, like huge Island records release kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I was like, shit, like a lot of people have started to pick up on this thing. That's really cool. And so we talked a little bit more and I asked him, you know, so you don't want anything. You just want to put it out there. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's good music. And, um, I was like, cool, let's do it, you know, send him all the art, send him all the files. He packaged it. We did a really limited release. He did somewhere, he did, like, some prints and um, had some extra songs on the end and stuff like that, like a deluxe version, and then we did a standard version that was just the album and um, sold them all, and then, yeah, it was was just really cool. It's Mm -hmm. cool that to reach out to people across the world that somehow found your music, you know, yeah, is the nobody. Like literally the first thing I put up under that moniker, under that band name, and just for people to find it is really cool. Dude, that's, that's awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do you, uh, do you get a lot of emails from people? Just randomly, yeah. Yeah. Um, around release time, I feel like I get a little bit more. I did have to do some groundwork um, early on to get some of the music placed like on blogs or like on playlists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't go super, super hard. I mean, it's not like I was dedicating my whole life to it. It was right. like send a couple emails, look for some places that might be interested in posting it. Mm-hmm. And then um, just seeing what happens and ended up getting a couple big placement, like big placements to me, like playlists and blogs that I actually enjoy reading or listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool. Yeah. Dude, that's that's really cool, man. Mm. I'm, like, really proud of you, dude. Like, <laughs> Thanks. I man. mean, that's just, yeah, <laughs> just, like, yeah. You're like a brother, dude. Like, I mean, I know it's been, you know, shit happens, bro. Life is life. But, yeah, life's life. You know, we haven't always been there, but, like, bro, like, I just see you and smile, dude. You yeah, know? likewise. Like, yeah, man, it's just. Well, it's, like, I don't know. There's certain friendships that you have that doesn't matter if you haven't talked for a long time. You yeah. see that person, you can pick right back up. Yeah. And there's not any bad blood there. And it's, there's no resentment. Right. Like, I mean, that's the kind of friendships I like, you know. And yeah. that's, that's our type of friendship. Like, I feel like yeah. Dude. when I saw you for that ukulele, I was just like, oh, shit, it's Mark Bella. <laughs> <more bigger." laughs> yeah, and, uh, dude. It's like, all right, dude, what's up? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. It's crazy how our lives have just turned out, dude. Yeah. I always thought you were going to be a mar- uh, marine biologist. I did too, man. I really did. I thought it was going to be a lot of things. <laughs> but expectations and reality are two very different things. Yeah. So what do you got? What What else, man? Like, I guess to close on this, but what do you have? What's your outlook on life now? All this that you've gone through, you're still trying to process, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, you know, working through it. What do you, how do you feel? Um, You know, it's kind of weird. It's the cliche is that it's a blessing and it's a curse. But the older I get, the more I feel like it's a blessing because it's allowed me to have a perspective on life that not everybody was allowed. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I'm grateful to have the perspective I have on life because it allows me to relate to many different types of people and be empathetic and, um, for the people that I can, you know, carry their burdens, uh, help them carry their weight. And, um, so I'm very grateful for that. I think the, the more I've reflected on it, getting older, um, I don't know. I've just wanted to dedicate my life in some way to helping people heal and uh, being that person for as many people as I can, you know, but also trying to figure out a way to give people tools to find people in their lives to open up to and allow them in and to help them carry the weight of their trauma and um, I mean, there's definitely been times where I felt like it was going to consume me and then I couldn't best it and I couldn't, uh, get through it. But, um, I don't know with, if you can talk to people about it and express yourself and not withhold any of that information and go as deep as you can with somebody, then I think you absolutely should. And that's, that's what's helped me so much. Um, and being, um, you know, staying, <laughs> staying sane, staying alive, um, and trying to make a positive impact and, a, and, uh, put a positive wave out there for people to hopefully, you know, rip, ride the ripple and pass it on. You know, yeah. I want, I want to create a big wave and I want people to ride that wave and, you know, put the same amount of uh, care and energy that I have into it for the people in their lives and for the people in those people's lives, you know, Mm -hmm. just, um, yeah, I think everybody deserves that. And I think, uh, that's kind of where my heart's at and what I want to dedicate my life to going forward. So, yeah, that's badass, dude. Dude, I'm thanks for coming today. Yeah, dude. dude. Thanks. I'm so glad you called. I was, I wasn't nervous to be on the show, but I was just like, I don't know. All Mark said was, we're going to get deep. (laughs) And I was like, I wonder how deep we're going to go. But when he said that, I was like, well, it's Mark. He doesn't really like exaggerate. He means we're going deep. Like we're, (laughs) when he says that, we're going to go as deep as we can, you know? And so, uh, there was a moment of shock, you know, just the knee jerk reaction. But after that, I was like, well, I mean, it's probably a good thing, you know, and if somebody hears it and they've been through something or they've had trouble opening up about it, then uh, if they hear me talk about it, maybe they'll feel more comfortable to talk to somebody about it. Maybe not publicly like yeah. <laughs> like this. But yeah, it's scary to do it publicly. It's scary to do yeah. it. It's, yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to talk about the way you feel um, because you're afraid it won't be reciprocated or that right. people won't understand, you know, yeah. those are like the scariest. And things. when there's other people involved that have caused you pain yeah. and you talk about it and then it's just, you know, it's, yeah. it's scary. Dude, believe me. Uh, you know, when I started cooler talks, I didn't know that. I mean, okay, dude, I knew other people's feelings were involved and I knew that when you're talking about death, mm-hmm. you know, and relatives and your own family and people not understanding, you know, like, like we're doing today, um, feelings get, involved and it, yeah. it gets really messy yeah. and it's um but if it's a way of healing and being truthful then it's important yeah absolutely yeah yeah you kind of 
in that way you have to kind of be selfish because it's the only way that you can heal. Yeah. You have to put yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. Put yourself first. It's not a selfish thing. Like it's, yeah, you got to put yourself first. Yeah. I like the way you phrase that. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks again, man, for doing the show. Um, and like I said, guys, this is that new show that I've been talking about doing for <laughs> a long time. Just my schedule sucks. But, um, and like I said before, if anybody has a story, I'm just putting people's stories out, how they process their trauma, how they came out on the other side. And, uh, Project, of course, is always one of the first people I wanted on. Um, I've been in talks with some other people. We're just working out some schedules. And uh, my Cooler Talk listeners, I've talked to some of you guys about some trauma. We've, you know, uh, been lucky enough for you guys to open up to me. And if you guys want to put it on the air, we'll uh, we'll ride with that too. So, um, just yeah, I don't know how this is coming out. I got to work through some stuff. Because uh, y'all know pretty open about Cooler Talks, but um, and some stuff, but. Whatever, dude. We'll fucking figure this out. I'll put it out. <laughs> I might uh, I might have a treat for you guys, but uh, anything you want to leave on, man? Dad, I said everything I had to say, man. Yeah. I feel I feel good about it. Like I said, just open up to the people in your life. Find you, find a person that you can talk to. Um, that's extremely important. You're not doing this alone. As much as you hear that and as much as corny as it sounds, like, man, I used to work in a corn maze. I know what corny is, dude. And I swear <laughs> Like, I know it sounds fucking cheesy, but seriously, go find somebody. And if you don't have somebody like that, you know, there's resources. It's easy to find those things. You just have to do a little bit of work. Um, But doing that work is going to be worth it. So, yeah. That's badass, man. Thanks, dude. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.
Surely must be home. Oh, oh, oh.